Today's conversation is the podcast of the National Association of Evangelicals, hosted by Walter Kim, NAE President. Today's conversation is with Dr. Stephen Koh, Senior Pastor of New York Chinese Alliance Church. The topic, Faith in the Midst of Coronavirus. Today's conversation is brought to you by Christian Community Credit Union, where faith and finances come together. With Christian Community Credit Union's new member special offers, you can save money while you help advance God's kingdom. Visit myccu.com NAE to learn more. That's myccu.com NAE. Join Christian Community Credit Union today. Each account is insured up to $250,000. By member's choice, this institution is not federally insured. Visit myccu.com NAE. And now, let's join in. I'm Walter Kim, here with Dr. Stephen Koh. Steve is the senior pastor at New York Chinese Alliance Church in New York City. He's also an adjunct professor at Alliance Theological Seminary. Steve received his MDiv from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary while completing a Master's of Public Health from Columbia University. He also holds an MA from William and Mary and an MD from the Medical College of Georgia. Steve was previously a medical officer for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, and a professor of global health at Boston University. He has worked extensively in Africa and Southeast Asia on diseases of epidemic potential with a passion for pastoral ministry and evangelism, as well as deep expertise in public health. Steve brings a unique and important perspective on the coronavirus and the church's response. Thanks for joining us, Steve. Thanks for hosting this podcast, Dr. Walter. We appreciate your leadership in these difficult times. So, uh, Dr. Koh, as the situation with COVID-19 changes at such a rapid pace, uh, we're not going to get into many specific data points in this conversation, but it's crystal clear that this is a global pandemic taking tens of thousands of lives, disrupting lives all around the globe. How would you describe the role of the church during this crisis? Well, in Mark 16, 15, Jesus says to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. In a time of great upheaval, anxiety, and despair, the mission of the church is crystal clear. We are called to share the good news of the gospel while engaging in the suffering of individuals in the world. When we choose to be servants of the king, we begin to see Jesus in our neighborhoods, on the streets, and at our jobs. Jesus is the elderly man, deathly afraid of leaving his apartment, yet slowly dying from loneliness. He is the single mom who has just been furloughed from the hospitality industry. Jesus is a family, barely surviving through the day, secondary to extended school closures and parents working from home. He is the homeless man infected with COVID-19, yet invisible to the world. Wow. That is a very compelling vision that brings it home. Uh, I appreciate the ways that you root this in scripture. There, there are many stories about sickness and disease in the Bible. Uh, are there particular situations or lessons from scripture other 
than the ones that you've just described that come to your mind when we think about our current context? Walter, the most striking account is found in Mark 141, where Jesus stretches out his hand to heal the leper. It's a beautiful intersection of the gospel, medicine, and public health. Though he could have easily healed the man from afar, Jesus models the power of touch and the ministry of presence. By coming in contact with a leper, he risks personal contagion and further spread of infection, yet also ritual defilement. He demonstrates this love that we might do the same. So bringing this from the world of scripture into our world, when was the last time a pandemic occurred in our world and what did we learn from that experience? Yeah, if I may, uh, pandemic comes from the Greek word pandemos. Pan means everyone and demos population. And therefore, pandemics are defined by widespread global transmission, sustained person-to-person spread, and significant morbidity and mortality. So given this definition, the most recent pandemic would arguably be the H1N1, or novel influenza A pandemic, which occurred in 2009. By the time the WHO declared an end to this H1N1 pandemic, hundreds of thousands had died across the globe. Unfortunately, we learned that globally, we are vastly unprepared for pandemics. Most countries do not have robust pandemic preparedness plans and very few exercise response efforts. Only a fraction are prepared to meet WHO global health security targets. Were Christians equally unprepared? How did Christians interact with past outbreaks? Yeah, I would say that in regards to public health planning, Christians were equally unprepared. But if you were to look at past outbreaks and epidemics, for example, Ebola most recently, Christians have played a distinctive and often an unsung role in responding to these outbreaks. Uh, As trusted and respected members of their communities, faith leaders were often the ones whom Ebola patients turned to in the face of fear, confusion, and even death. They were the ones who visited afflicted families when no others would do so. That's a very powerful witness to the gospel. Uh, From a medical perspective, How is this coronavirus different or similar to these other outbreaks? You know, I would say the current pandemic is caused by a beta coronavirus. It's very similar to SARS or severe acute respiratory syndrome and MERS, Middle East respiratory syndrome. Uh, The scientific name of the virus that causes SARS Uh, severe acute respiratory syndrome, is SARS-CoV, while that for the current pandemic is also called SARS-CoV, but with a two on the end. All three are transmitted in similar ways, mainly through respiratory droplets. Uh, Yet MERS and SARS have a higher uh, death rate, uh, roughly 10% for SARS and 35% for MERS, compared to COVID-19. Uh, Yet SARS and COVID-19 are relatively more contagious than MERS. 
unfortunately, now we are in the period of exponential growth for COVID-19. Well, I want to take advantage of the fact that you have this medical expertise. Um, could you explain r not for us and any other epidemiological details that you think would be helpful for us to understand? Yeah, r not is the basic reproduction number or really the average number of people who will become sick from a single infected person. So an r not of two means that on average, every infected patient will transmit the disease to two people. In general, an r not greater than one means that a disease will keep on spreading, while a number less than one uh, means that an outbreak will likely teeter out. The WHO and several academics have estimated the r not of uh, COVID-19 to be around uh, two to three. Another term that you hear a lot on the news these days is uh, case fatality rate, or CFR. It's really a proxy for uh, deaths, and it's the proportion of deaths from a certain disease, in this case COVID-19, compared to the total number of people diagnosed with the disease for a certain period. Uh, for COVID-19, it's uh, in the neighborhood of 1% to 2%. And because we were just talking about SARS and MERS, it's lower than SARS, which was about 10%, and MERS was roughly 35%. These percentages are sometimes hard for us to get our heads around, but what you're describing is a situation that um, how contagious it is needs to be coupled with uh, this actual impact. And this is certainly a situation where that combination still has a, a very detrimental effect on the world right now. Um, all right, when you think about the roles that Christians have played in these past scenarios and past outbreaks, is there something different about how we should be handling COVID-19 uh, and what should be the same, what should be different? When I think about the widespread global upheaval, I believe that Christians are called to provide holistic healing in the current COVID-19 pandemic. This really encompasses a much wider breadth and depth of response on a global scale compared to previous pandemics. In an era of technology and social media, the church has really a unique opportunity to minister in creative ways. We can more readily engage in the physical, mental, emotional, and really spiritual well-being of those that are stricken with COVID-19, as well as those that are indirectly affected. You've mentioned a number of prevention measures that governments have taken, uh, some very hard-won lessons. Um, what are the prevention measures from governments that we're seeing now, uh, churches, uh, other civic entities that have been helpful and that can continue to be helpful in the future? I believe that one of the most effective prevention measures is social distancing. And it's a term that epidemiologists use to describe conscious efforts to reduce close contact between individuals. In fact, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention defines it as remaining out of congregate settings, 
avoiding mass gatherings and maintaining a distance of approximately six feet from others when possible. This distance implies that individuals refrain from intimate greetings, such as handshakes, kisses, and hugs. And social distancing, at its core, it removes the critical ingredient in transmission, human reservoirs. So by scaling back the number of times we meet and congregate, we withhold opportunities for COVID-19 to infect others. This is essential, Walter, because COVID-19 is a new virus. And when new viruses enter human communities for the first time, our bodies do not have immunity against these organisms. Researchers, researchers have not had time to create vaccines, and the medical community does not know the best way to treat the disease yet. So this is what the media means when it talks about a novel virus, that it's new to the system. Hmm. Yeah. That's exactly right. A novel or new virus has not been seen before by our bodies. And so we don't have that innate immunity uh, against it. Uh, you hear a lot on the news these days about vaccines that are rapidly uh, becoming part of clinical trials and also some medications like remdesivir that uh, are being developed and in clinical trials as well. But these are on the horizon, and for now, uh, we have mostly non-pharmacologic uh, treatments and preventions. Social distancing is uh, perhaps at this point a, a common experience either by choice uh, and increasingly by government mandate. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing from you that it's extremely important for us to comply with these directives. Do you have any further exhortation of why it's so important? Yeah, social distancing is really counterintuitive, but the sacrifice of social distancing is at the core of what it really means to love my neighbor as myself. By embracing social distancing measures in our lives, whether canceling social events, staying away from mass gatherings, or changing the way we interact with people, we can save the lives of the vulnerable by simply staying away. Yet, we're also called to sacrifice our income for the furloughed, our shelter for the homeless, and our families for the sick. You've described a range of sacrifices, all things that are familiar to the mindset of a Christian. And yet it's very difficult in political discourse to talk about sacrifices. Uh, what, are, what are some of the impacts of this social distancing on people and church ministry? And now I'm going to invite you to take on your hat of a pastor in addition to the hat that you wear uh, of a physician. Yeah, and you know what I'll mention before I do that is social distancing is essential because COVID-19 is so highly transmissible. Uh, and as a result, the infection spreads with brutal effectiveness. If you look at Italy, you know, a few initial cases rapidly developed into thousands within a few weeks. And Italian doctors have had to choose which patients receive ventilators and which will not. It really means that other patients, uh, people that have experienced accidents, uh, strokes, and heart attacks, uh, may not be able to be placed in intensive care units. 
And so that social distancing really flattens the epidemic curve of COVID-19. If we put it simply, it slows the spread of disease where fewer individuals uh, succumb to COVID-19, uh, resulting in a reduced number of deaths. You know, to your question, uh, I believe that fellowship and worship are crucial to faith and church ministry. The author of Hebrews exhorts us not to give up gathering together. And Luke points out the centrality of meeting together in Acts 2.42. It's really in moments of suffering, crisis, and panic where we need communion with fellow saints the most. These are the times where believers should draw near to each other rather than intentionally moving away. Therefore, we risk the erosion of faith in young believers and spiritual depression for those without a solid foundation. Ultimately, we may see a recontextualization of typical church ministry as we know it. Yet, I also believe that there are wonderful opportunities for the church to flourish in very unique and creative ways. So what are these unique opportunities for the church to flourish while the church seeks to foster community in this time of social distancing and isolation? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because we're in the era of technology and social ministry or social media. And the next generation, uh, millennials, uh, Gen Y and Gen Z, can really help lead the way in worship and fellowship. Christians can flourish outside the physical walls of the church, uh, you know, adept at going live, streaming online contact, and interacting from afar. Millennials can help communities thrive in very unique ways. Uh, we're already seeing worship services live stream to our laptops and smartphones, small groups meeting online through Zoom and Google Hangouts. Uh, we can check up on the ill, lonely and furloughed with a click of FaceTime. Offerings can occur uh, via Tidally. And we can order groceries for the elderly through Fresh Direct or Amazon. It's really ironic, but none of this would have been possible a few decades ago. You've mentioned throughout this podcast uh, the impact the coronavirus has had on multiple aspects of life. The coronavirus has strained the economy, mental health, education, at-risk populations, community life, and on and on. And it seems like our efforts must be broad and prolonged. What are the implications for the long-term nature of these challenges for the church? Yeah, that's a, a tough question. After this pandemic is over, the, the church may never return to business as usual. But perhaps, Walter, that's precisely what's needed. We're forced to consider church outside a building, worship without a concert, and fellowship that is intentional and creative. I hate to say it, but some churches may not survive this pandemic, Walter. Others will be born in the season of suffering. Yet it's always been during chaos and turmoil that the church has flourished. And so I think time will tell that God is still sovereign. Mm. And the sovereignty of God is our hope. 
in all of this. We'll see where the Lord leads in it. Mm. Uh, I, I have appreciated your medical es- expertise, your ministry uh, experience. I want to ask a very specific question given your particular ministry at the Chinese Alliance Church. Um, this is a difficult question to ask, but in the unfolding of the coronavirus, um, how have you seen any stigma or racial stereotyping uh, occurring or playing a role? Yeah, this is a, a very unfortunate part of human nature and sin. Uh, as an American-born Chinese pastor, it's heartbreaking to see elderly Chinese grandparents beaten and spit on. Walter, the truth is that viruses and bacteria, they do not discriminate between race or ethnicity. They are just as likely to infect Asians as Hispanics and Africans and Caucasians as well. It's, it's really in a time of global fear and panic that we need to stand in solidarity instead of being gripped by racism and xenophobia. In New York City alone, there have been numerous occasions of hate crimes. I currently serve on the Community and Faith-Based Advisory Council for New York City's Department of Health. And uh, there are many reports of uh, crimes. Uh, I think in particular for New York City, if it is a a crime, uh, individuals are uh, directed to call 911 while there are sort of more subtle cases of uh, stigma and stereotypes are just as important. And in these cases, uh, individuals dealing with these occurrences should call 311. Uh, Considering all of this, what what is your encouragement to pastors and ministry leaders? You know, Walter, pandemics and plagues have existed from antiquity. In times of chaos and suffering, Psalm 91 is always a timeless encouragement. The the first verse is arguably the most famous. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Yet the ending is equally striking. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. God has always been with us, not only in times of calamity and trouble. He has never left us, nor will he forsake us. Through the blood of Christ, he has rescued us from the gravest illness, sin itself. And it's with this promise that our future is secure. There is hope beyond the veil. Steve, uh Are there a few words that you hope will sum up the church's response when history looks back on this time? I hope that we will be known as Christians who preach the gospel at all times when necessary using words. I pray that we will have done so with fidelity of love rather than fear of contagion. Our guest on today's conversation has been Dr. Stephen Coe, Senior Pastor of New York Alliance Church. I'm Walter Kim, and on behalf of us all, very special thanks to you, Steve. Mm-hmm.
The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.